Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello and welcome to Talking Comics, episode 230. I'm Mara Wood, and I'm on the line with Joey Bertino. Hello. Steve Say. Hello. And Bob Ryer. Good evening, Mara. Oh, you guys sound so calm and dignified tonight. There's no hooligans here. Well, we're drinking at this end. <laughs> yeah. Woo! So that Bobby Shortle's not here. Yeah, Bobby's not here. <laughs> he's got some um, work emergencies, things to do. So he's asked me to step in, which is not intimidating at all since I'm new. And um, <laughs> lowest on the totem pole. So this is very uh, challenging for me tonight. More I think Let's about it. the wolves with you, Mara. Oh. <laughs> but Mara, I, I think you were on a talking comic show before I was. So the, the, no. You're going to be great. You also host like two other podcasts for the site. Yeah, but they're like tiny ones. They're the babies of the family, the no. comics family. No such thing as a small podcast. What am I saying? <laughs> um, Here, but, uh, go ahead, Mark. I was going to say, like, Bob, you just had a birthday. Uh, this is true. Uh, a couple of weeks back was the official birthday, and we had a lovely celebration here locally. Mm -hmm. But friend of the show and friend of all of us, Lauren colleagues, arranged a whole meeting at the Algonquin Hotel in Manhattan, the home of the legendary round table, whereupon we were sitting that night at the round table, filling it up underneath the portrait of Robert Benchley and Dorothy Parker and Alexander Wolcott and Edna Ferber and that whole crew. And it was Steve. And Melissa Megan and Professor Carolyn Coca and myself and Lauren. And we drank quite a bit, had a <laughs> lovely dinner. I had a bucket of champagne and it was actually in a bottle, but the bottle was in the bucket. So mm -hmm. It sounds even worse when I say we have a bucket of champagne. And it was a night of reading poetry and Robert Benchley essays and just shooting, shooting the breeze. Sounds lovely. He doesn't like my pen. <laughs> yes, it, it, it was it was quite lovely. Give me my pen back. <laughs> I, I'm like Bob Dole. I need to hold on to a pen, but I'm clicking apparently. <laughs> and it's uh, for anyone who wants to visit New York and wants to find a place to have a nice cocktail with some place with history. The Algonquin was put up in 1902, home of so many great literary people, great plays written upstairs. Lerner and Lowe and My Fair Lady parts of it written in the hotel and so on and so forth. Mm. And you don't have to have a room in the hotel to sit in this gorgeously restored lobby that looks as it did in the 20s and just sit and have a cocktail. And one day I was in there. I stopped in a lot, being a fan of all, all that stuff. 
I come in from Midtown Comics and I spread out a whole bunch of comics on the table and sitting there with a glass of wine and the waiter came, oh, I love, I love the Fantastic Four. The Silver Surfer is like my favorite character. Are we here? What? So it isn't just literary. It's even, <laughs> it's even our stuff. That's pretty cool. Uh, our stuff is literary. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you, as, as wonderful a room as it is, it, it pales in comparison to the company I kept that night. Mm-hmm. That's so oh sweet. wow that <laughs> was true. that was smooth yeah Melissa i just want to make a quick me. announcement at the top of the show yeah mara I'll, I'll, just one second um we're if the podcast sounds strange tonight we're doing a little bit of a gorilla recording uh i had some audio issues on my end and had to scramble to find new cables and such uh and to that bob and i are actually sharing a microphone tonight so if the audio sounds weird and we're in and out at any point, it's not you, it's us. <laughs> unless, you were, unless you were drinking, in which case it is you. Yeah. Are, you oh, passing yeah. The mic, are you passing the mic back and forth? Uh, we're both we're loving on it real close. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the duchy on the left hand side. Yeah. <laughs> I've been feeling right, baby. Wow. <laughs> yeah, man. This is great. That's, um, this is great. <laughs> Bob just said, pass the duchy on the left-hand side. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I remember musical youth. Come on. <laughs> Record business. It was a big hit. So let's, let's talk some comics. That's what we're here <laughs> sure. for, right? <laughs> That's what we do. Um, Joey, do you want to go first? Sure. Uh, let, me sure. Get my, let me get my under-under uh, timer thing out. So tell me, tell me all the great comics you've read. In three minutes or less. Go ahead. Oh my gosh. Did you start? Yes. Okay, okay. Uh, so I'll talk about Pretty Deadly number nine first. I know a lot of um, us do want to talk about that book, so I'll keep it relatively short. It's Kelly Sue, DeConnick, and Emma Rios with Jordi Belair on colors. This is number nine. It's four issues into the second arc. Um, it's set in World War One. If you haven't been following along, basically... Our favorite Reapers have been sent to kind of protect this youngest son of one of the characters from the first arc. Uh, number eight ended with a shocking cliffhanger, and number nine kind of deals with the aftermath of that, and more crazy things happen. Um, I noticed reading number nine that the thing with Pretty Deadly is that it's tough to read month to month. I think I think I read six through eight, the first three issues of the arc, back to back to back, and I loved it, and I, I kind of really dug it. And then number nine, it was tough to read kind of on its own. Uh, but still, I'm a sucker for the setting. It's set during World War One, and we don't get enough stories set during World War One, so I, I love that, and I just adore kind of the style and energy of the book. And um, I'm sure, I know that some of uh, you guys wanted to talk about that too, so we'll get to that. Goldie Vance as well. Goldie Vance number one from Boom debuted this past week, written by Hope Larson, illustrated by Brittany Williams. Um, Goldie is this young kind of detective. She works at a hotel called the Cross Palms Resort, or at least she wants to be the detective. She's actually the valet, if you will. Um, I loved it from the first couple of pages where Goldie kind of saves, quote unquote, this little kid and brings her to the brings him to his parents and the kid just has the most blase look on his face. Uh, I knew from that moment it was going to be a fun book, a really energetic book too. Um, And the other book I want to talk about isn't a comic book. It is the Hamilton, the revolution by Lin-Manuel Miranda and Jeremy (laughs) McCarter. Hamilton, the revolution or the subtitle being the complete libretto of the Broadway musical with a true account of its creation and concise remarks on hip hop, the power of stories and the new America. Um, it collects, 
Oh, three there, right? No, I'm kidding. Um, the the it collects the whole script with Lin Manuel Miranda, who wrote the book and the music and the the uh, lyrics. He annotates all of that. It's interspersed with essays from people that are in the show, people who design the show, the director. It is for a show that is revolutionizing the industry. It just won the Pulitzer for uh, drama on Monday, which was a huge step uh, to have it now in writing and to kind of get a look into how it was made. It's just amazing. The show lives up to the hype. I caught it last summer, and the book was a a great – has been a great read. I'm about a third of the way through um it's remarkable it really is uh i don't know if i'm out of time but that's all i have to talk about you are five minutes or five seconds short so fantastic and hamilton i cannot believe you saw hamilton i saw it in on august 1st like it's so hard to get a ticket to it the second the we, I wanted to see it at the public uh, when it was at the public last winter and that was sold out so the second the tickets were I got a ticket for for August. Um, saw it, and I was I had heard so much about it. I I've been following Lin Manuel on Twitter and everything, and everything he had to say about the show. And the show genuinely lives up to the hype. Like it is one of the most remarkable things you'll see. Uh, the book is is like. Even if, if you haven't seen it, just reading some of the things that he writes about and these other people write about in terms of representing a new America and trying to capture hip hop and capture, you know, 18th century America and the story of the revolution, but make it relevant to today. Even in the book, it's like I got a little verklempt reading some of the some of the the essays, just reading it, not even watching the show. So um, it's great. It really is. Yeah, it's supposed to be coming to Chicago sometime this year. And Chicago yeah, is like nine hours away from where I live. Around the corner. The trip. I will probably, like, one of my friends is waiting for the tickets to go on sale. And he's like, money is no object. Like, that is where he's Ooh. at right now. And I'm kind of like, well, maybe like $300 is the cap on what I can pay for a ticket, especially having to drive out there and then buy a hotel and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So hopefully I can see it at some point this year because I've been listening to the soundtrack nonstop. Yeah. That yeah. Um, my hope, my like, because one of my favorite shows is Passing Strange, and the only reason I got to see it was because Spike Lee filmed it and HBO released it or Showtime released it. So my hope at some point is that they film Hamilton, yeah. you know, and they really ought to just for access and for everything the show represents. Uh, yeah, and, I, I hope that they film it. And it would be a good um, play to show in high school English classes. And history classes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, the play has helped to keep uh, Mr. Hamilton on the ten dollar bill, according to the head of the <laughs> treasury today. <laughs> really, it's, it's so funny because yeah. one of the annotations that he includes, like for the first song, because one of the first lyrics, "Founding Father," right? And and Lin Manuel includes an annotation that's like, "This lyric is entirely up to the U.S. Treasury. If they change it, then I will have to change the lyrics." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what they're going to do apparently is take the picture of the treasury building off the back and replace that with a scene of women's suffrage or something. That's and awesome. Seneca Falls. The, the 20 and Mr. Jackson are going to change. That's what we've been saying for years. Exactly. <laughs> Trail of Tears and all the rest of it. Off. Take him off. Yes. Get out of here. You can go. Get off our money. It's yeah. a great musical about Andrew Jackson, though, too. <laughs> 
bloody was it bloody jackson andrew bloody bloody, bloody, bloody andrew jackson yeah okay i was close uh, but anyway, Pretty Deadly was great. Uh, Bob, I, th- I think I, it was on your list, right? Oh, a- absolutely. Look, a- a- as the title is, you know, this weird oxymoron, the, the book is horribly beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, Emma Rios designs the way the pages are laid out. The The words are just so, it's a lyric poem as we're going. And in this issue, we, we, as you're talking about our favorite Reapers, Ginny and Alice are on sort of the sides of the angels on, on a mission that Sissy has sent them on back from the garden. I won't spoil the surprise because as Joey says, a lot of people do read this together and it does read wonderfully together. You have to always go back an issue they're, they're so dense that in the, the emotional character, as well as the plot points, it's, Oh, wait a minute. I got to go back. Let me just read another issue. I'm in this issue. I'm really uh, saddened by what's going on with Ginny and Alice. And if you had told me that was going on after reading the last arc, it would have been, I would have said you were nuts. (laughs) I'm really sad. There's only one more issue in this arc. It's, it's the great war to end all wars. And I don't know where we go next. Do we move up into world war two there? I I think there's a possibility because there are some, you know, could any war be worse than this sort of, as we see mustard gas attacks and the gas clouds swirling across two different pages with panels interspersed and wonderful words. And we still have bones, bunny and the butterfly and philosophy about, you know, bees and bears and (laughs) just absolutely nuts. And yet makes complete sense at the same time. I think it's interesting. You say that you have to always go back an issue before you go forward. Because I can't read it month to month. It's the same thing where I don't understand. Like, I, I can't remember or I don't catch on everything. I wonder if that makes it a better bang for your buck since you have to go, you're almost forced to reread it and enjoy it over and over again. Huh. I would. I, the, the problem with images, I, I, why complain about $10 trade paperbacks? The trades don't reprint the back matter. No. You're right. And on, 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 on Kelly Sue's books, that back matter is incredible. And she puts a lot of effort into making sure the back mm-hmm. matter reflects the reader. Yeah. Yeah. The, the letters all are wonderful. The, in this case, it's the design of the book and how it all gets played out scene by scene and how she and Emma work together, which if people want to hear that, they can. 40. Yeah. And you, you here you can just, you could listen to one of our shows because we had them interview, hey. interview each other. Shameless <laughs> plug. <laughs> And that was just as that book had come out. I think we had three issues of it were out. And when we were first talking to Kelly Sue about this, when it was going to be sort of a spaghetti Western that sort of wrote itself into this, it's stunning. It is just something unlike anything I've ever read in comics. And I've read comics for a very, very long time. And I, I'm, every time I pick up another one, it's sort of, Oh, I'm in for it now. It's just so different and wonderful. Yeah. I'm so glad you were in on this one too, Joey. Uh, yeah, man, it's, it's, I, again, I love the setting. We don't have enough world war one stories and I teach, I teach juniors and we, we start with great Gatsby and we do as they lay dying. And I talk to them about world war one because even in their history classes, their U S history classes, they don't really cover it because it's a European war or whatever. And mm-hmm. I always pitch like, you know, you really, can't understand 20th century history without understanding world war one 
and to see read a comic book that then takes that and takes this world that I've already kind of fallen in love with and and use that in some of the things that you're talking about with the the violence of it and the devastation of it it's to see um and Taconic and Rios and, and Belair, they just they're they're it's a dream team, you know. They're Clayton really knocking Cowles it out too. While we're at it, the lettering isn't Cowles, bad yeah. either. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the editing's great too. <laughs> it's yes. all around, all around good. Uh, so, Bob, I'm going to give you three minutes to continue talking about some comics. Are you ready? Okay, sure. Go ahead. Mockingbird number two, Chelsea Kane and Kate Niemczyk swirls us into a recent past event that actually takes us back to the opening of the first issue. Confusing? Uh, not in the least, honestly. Just a lot of fun banter. Uh, Bobby and Lance Hunter. And great back matter in this one, too. You'll have to see it. It includes a paper doll of Bobby Morse, just for fun. DC Bombshells number 11, the first part of the Battle of Britain story that's been shaping up as the chapter closer for the first arc. All the herons are now in the same theater of operations, and it is just absolutely delicious watching the interactions reveling in a wonderfully punny final line to go with it. As always, Marguerite Bennett has done a superb job turning a variant cover gimmick into a tremendous comic story, and that's that's a lot of heavy lifting. Spider-Gwen number seven is the story that began in Spider-Woman Alpha, and that ended with Jessica Drew and Cindy Moon trapped on Earth-65. It's Jason Latour's turn at writing the Spider-Women. Uh, Bengal does the art on this and superbly. And he fills this story with just great character-driven moments. And the action, which is really great, is almost intrusive. I just want to see them all sitting around and talking, particularly uh, Jessica <laughs> Drew and Captain Stacy. Another fabulous group book came out this week, and that was A-Force number four. Uh, the team of friends at the Otherworldly Singularity has finally assembled in this chapter closer from Kelly Thompson, G. Willow Wilson, and Jorge Molina as with Spider-Gwen, it's the human moments, the, the smaller moments that really just put this above every other Avengers book. And in this case, it's composed of a single word. Hi. I'll, you have to figure out who says it. That's on you. <laughs> Finally, there's the Wonder Woman 77 special, which was just another great side trip into the Linda Carter verse, I guess you'd call it. We have a couple of great stories. We have uh, stories about elephant and ivory poaching. We have one by Trina Robbins about a, a cult organization and one with Clayface who wants to steal the mystic clay from Paradise Island. <gasps> that doesn't go well for him, I'm thinking, but a lot of fun. The only thing is it is $8, though they're only every three months or so, but it's a bit pricey, but it is a square-bound, really hefty book. So that's the Wonder Woman 77 special number three. That's it for me. Awesome. Lots of good stuff. Yeah, it was a good week. It was. Um, Spider-Gwen. I'm loving this crossover. Yeah. It's so good. My favorite kind of event, it's just every week something comes out. It, it's They're great. They're well-written, filled with wonderful characters, all acting the way they do in their own books. It isn't that, oh, you know, he doesn't write her well and so on. No, this is just a lot of fun and the... I can't wait to keep going with this and mm -hmm. an event and me, it's just strange bedfellows. <laughs> yeah. So what's your favorite part so far? Of Their the brunch? Oh my gosh. Of the spider queen. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's the sacrifice that Jessica makes for Gwen in this past issue where she looks at her as a teenager, as a young woman and, and really tries to, push her into that role 
more than the superhero role. Yeah, it's, I, I never had this. Yeah, have a, have a real life, and yeah, it's, it's it, when you have these sort of characters that have history, mm-hmm. and you have new ones that we'd like to think they will somewhere down the road. The, the split between them can very often just seem, oh, they're all the same, and all the ages flatten out. But they're playing it here as that motherly role for Jessica. And that she's just entered into that herself, just having had a baby who she's planning to get back to. Because after all, would you want the porcupine babysitting your kid? <laughs> she, she trusts him. I should. She trusts yeah. Roger. I shouldn't yeah. say that. But it, it's nice to see when we see what happened with the Fantastic Four movie. Let's make everyone the same age. All these characters are seem the younger ones catch up to the old ones and are all twenty eight. Uh, here we have a right. Here we have a veteran character. And imparting some of that veteranness to the youngsters. Yeah, that was a great moment to pick, Mar. I, mm-hmm. As I knew you would. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Steve, you got some books? Hey. Hey. Hey, what's up? What's going on? Not much. Just sitting back. <laughs> listening to the podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got some books. Yeah, let's hear them. All right. I'm going to time me? Yeah, yeah, I'll give you three minutes. All right. Okay, go ahead. All right. So... Uh, I went back to IDW land this past week. I haven't yeah. read a book from them in quite some time. And uh, I checked out, what's that? Uh, Hot Damn, number one, from Ryan Ferrier and uh, Valentin Ramon. And uh, this is a book about hell and what it's like to live in hell and what it's like to live in the different uh, parts of hell. There are multiple floors. The farther down you go, the worse it gets. Seven circles. Yeah. So we join a guy, a uh, a drug addict who's died. His name is, get this, Teddy Graham. <laughs> Just like the cracker. Just like the Graham cracker. So Teddy Graham dies, and he goes down to hell. And hell is, it's not so bad. Like, his apartment is shitty, but it's okay because it's an apartment and he's not sleeping on a bed of hot coals or in a fireplace. And, but the problem is, like, when you go out on the street, you run into, like, that guy from high school that you can't stand. And he's like, hey, bro, what's going on, bro? And he's like, oh, God, I don't want to deal with this. So he's there. So that sucks. And, um, but, like, um, oh, my God, Abaddon is a goat and he's your, he's your, your counselor, kind of your guide into hell. Uh, you have a sponsor who happens to be a demon and who goes on uh, like daily possessions. And he decides to take Teddy Graham with him on one of these possessions, which is illegal. And it basically uh, gets the attention of the Dark Lord. And Teddy Graham ends up uh, in a position where he might get eaten. Not really. I'm just making that up because of the cracker <laughs> jokes. But um, he's, in, he's, he's in a lot of trouble. My other book, though, uh, if I could remember. Okay, so a book called House of Penance came out this past week. You know what? I don't even need to. I am going to open it because of the creative team. Uh, Peter J. Tomasi, Ian Bertram, and colors by Dave Stewart. So here's the deal. Uh, Winchester. Winchester is the wife of the gun, the, the son of the gunmaker, the Winchester guns. Her husband and daughter have passed away. And she has lost her mind and she's living in the family manor and 24 seven. She has construction workers working on this house. Is that my timer? Yes. (laughs) 
Oh. Can I keep talking? Yeah, special fi- episode? Finish nice. finish this up. Yeah, finish uh, okay. this issue up. Thank you, Mara. So much nicer than Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So imagine this, right? You're living on a manor and all these construction workers are living with you and you give them stipulations. There's to be no violence. There are to be no guns on the Winchester plot of land. So you have to surrender your weapons and you come in and you, you play nice or you don't play at all. And she is now my timer's going off. She imagine hammering, hammering and sawing all day, all the time. How would you sleep through that? So she is living in this house and basically having them build staircases that go nowhere, doors that lead nowhere. And she's steadily losing her mind. Meanwhile, there's kind of this like dark wanderer guy who looks as if he's taking he's going around taking out um mystics and 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 just strange things going on and he's kind of the thing to end those things and he happens upon this manner not knowing what it is and discovers that there's like something there's some kind of sinisterness to her her insanity like her grief that she's going through and she's not sleeping and it's just the artwork in this book is absolutely spectacular. Um, there's constant repetition of the hammers going off. So when people are having conversations, it's interrupted by hammer hammer breaks to like really pound home the fact that the sound is always happening. And how would it not drive you crazy? But you get these like close-ups of her eyes all wide and just all this all this weird supernatural stuff going on. But it's got this like almost Lovecraftian, super gothic feel to it um kind of crimson peakish mm-hmm. in a way um and i'm i was really kind of blown away by it the big and, thing uh, i remember about this is that when dark horse was doing their advanced advanced previews for it they mm-hmm. were quoting scott snyder and saying that he loves this and like this is the next big horror book to come out yeah i saw he has a he has a quote on the on the back but like it's really you kind of you get close to your main character. Um, I can't remember her name. Um, she's the, the Winchester. You get really close to her by like way of her insanity. Like there's there's whole pages dedicated to her. Like there's this one moment where she's sitting in kind of a like a clock tower and she's brushing her hair and she's looking down on the street and looking in the park and there's like a nice family going by with their kids and their you know their nice fancy dress and whatnot and she's like imagining what they're saying and having whole conversations with herself that these people are saying down on the streets and kind of living vicariously through them. But then also like her final words are a warning to them. So I'm wondering if she's channeling something, if these deaths like triggered something on the property and let it loose. Um, It's really, really, really crazy. And I mean, we haven't even really gotten into the, like the dark wanderer, thing i mean i know who he is and i but i have no idea why he wound up there what his purpose to be there is and it's there's this huge mystery going on and um yeah it really honestly the more i talk about it the more i realize how much i really loved it Um, (laughs) i think i'm gonna have to go back and reread the first issue because it's been uh i didn't read it when it came out i read it before and now i'm like i should have read it again what house of penance yeah like you're really selling me on going back and rereading it again well, this is the first issue that came out uh, this past Wednesday. How'd you read it? Dark Horse sends them out like the. Oh. Yeah. 
So you, so what? they sent this one out, like they were sending this one out in the new Matt Kent book, maybe a oh, month okay. a month or two ahead ago. So Me? yeah. Yo, Doctor Marvel got all the hookups, yo. <laughs> Um, I'll, I'll, I'll get you covered. I'll get you covered. Seriously, seriously, <laughs> good stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely jaw-dropping uh, gothic-style art. Um, a little um, little lock and key-ish. Mm. And maybe not artfully, no? You don't think so? Well, I think the... Like, Let me, I'll, I'll go ahead, Amara. If I say the way it's unfolding, where you don't have all the answers, and you're kind of like piecing things together as you go. I'd say like that. The art, I, I, I look at the art and I see sort of a combination of Jeff Darrow from Rusty okay. and Big Guy and Gayan Wilson, the cartoonist who drew such weird, creepy creatures back in the 70s. This sort of the big eye, crazy shaped heads and whatever. But it is a very, very scary looking book. Lots of hammering. Lots of hammering. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the, panel, the paneling is actually quite wild too. Like, if there's a, a bell going off in the bell tower, the bell is actually at the center, like the, bo- like the bottom center of the page, and it's rippling out across like four panels, kind of distorting them and like really giving you a sense that this gonging sound is just, you know, hammering away inside of everybody that lives in town. Like there's no escape from it, mm-hmm. you know, and as she's as she's pulling on the rope to the uh, to the bell, like it's too much for her to handle because she's very frail. But she forces herself to do it, and there's like blood on the rope from her hand moving up and down, and it's kind of chewing away at her hand while she's like oh dumping gosh. guns into this well. It's it's crazy. Like it, there's some really really weird stuff going on. I highly recommend people checking this out. Awesome. So before I go into my three minutes, Steve, I just want to say that I read Grizzly Shark today. Oh my god! What? Yes. <laughs> I read it yesterday. Oh my gosh! You both read it, right? I was so yes. grossed out. <laughs> All right, go, go, go. I want to hear this. Uh, dude, I, I walked to the shop on Friday, and I was like, I saw it on the counter, and I was like, Steve talked about Grizzly Shark, and they, they made jokes about how it was my kind of book. I'm going to see if it's true. It totally is. It's the most <laughs> absurd, random. I just loved how ridiculous it was. Um, and I can't believe that they're doing another issue. <laughs> like... <laughs> How do they keep it up? You know, um, it's totally it. It is a very specific cup of tea, I think. Uh, but I had a great time with it, and you know, it just goes to show, like when we talk about books on the show, they are they, you know, they're good recommendations. And I picked it up and I loved it. Awesome. <laughs> I was Laura, so gross. I was so grossed out by it. Like I was fine with it until the kid got his whole body like bitten in half. That's page two. I know, I know. <laughs> so I hit my threshold pretty early. But he's like pointing at his stomach on the floor and he's like, it's okay. Yeah. I can take all this. And I was just like, oh. Dad, I got to pee. What the? Laughing. How? <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did finish the issue though. I got to the end. But I was like, oh, this is so sickening, but also kind of awesome. Ah. <laughs> uh. I can't. I I can't believe there's at least two more issues of it. Yeah, man. There's uh, what was it though? Actually, it's in the back. Hold on, I'll, return, I'll find out. Return of the Grizzly Shark. Yeah, or something like that. What was your favorite? My favorite page is the one with the family sitting at the picnic table, <laughs> and he just comes out from the tree, 
<laughs> gets everybody in one like one fell swoop. Okay, so Grizzly Shark Returns is next month, and that'll actually be um, I think a dollar more, but it's going to be a bigger oh. issue. Okay. Um, and then there's Sea Bear and Grizzly Shark. Oh, I, I love coming the- out. That, that was like there's the back matter and he's like we got the idea when i was talking with this other writer and we came up with what if there was a shark on land and a bear in the sea and they just wrote the book i was like okay cool sure we'll go with it <laughs> so so that was very surprising to me but um my i'm so glad you checked it out gosh <laughs> so i'm gonna go ahead and get my three minutes started and we had two star wars books come out this week uh c3po number one by james robinson and tony harris and this issue explores where C-3PO got his red arm that we see in The Force what? Awakens. I know, right? It's a one-shot. So, you know, it's just kind of a, a one-and-done story. And it does a lot with nature versus nurture when it comes to droids. Like, you know, we are not inherently oh. good or evil. We're programmed to do certain things. And we can't go past our programming. But does that make me evil? Because C-3PO is stranded on a um, hostile world with other droids. And one of the droids is his um, captor, the the first or, um, the resistance um, captor, because this droid apparently has first order stuff in him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's really good. I was really surprised by it. So, uh, and the subtitle is called The Phantom Limb. So, dun, dun, dun. And then Darth Vader number 19 by Karen Gillan and Salvador LaRocca. We're still doing the shoe tour in war. And if you've read the Darth Vader annual, this is the the planet where Vader came in, killed off the family, and looked at the youngest daughter and was like, okay, you're queen now. Guess what? You have to do what I say. And the thing that really stuck out in this particular issue is one of the silos gets burned by lava. And you can almost tell through LaRocca's artwork that there's an Anakin Skywalker down in there remembering the fact that he was like burned and left for dead in a lava world. And so it was like really heart wrenching in that moment. Um, 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 uh, so manga time, uh, honey, so sweet volume two from Viz media by Amu Meguro. And this is total shoujo sweetness. Lots of tropes in it about a girl who's approached by a boy. And this boy wants to date her with the intention of marrying her, but he's also kind of a juvenile delinquent. And she's like, no, you're kind of scary. And it's kind of how their relationship evolves over time. I talk a little bit more about it on the Talking Shoujo episode, as well as Demon Prince of Momochi House. And then Volume 4 just came out by Aya Shoto. And um, it's kind of a fantasy setting where this girl has a house, but also the house is a gateway to a demon world. Of course. Yeah, of course. Like, why would you have a house? That's not. Got to have a pit in the basement that leads to some (laughs) other dimension. It's a and it's then selling feature. Yeah. And then one thing that I want to hit on before um, moving forward to a bigger book, I think a lot of us are going to talk about, and that is The Legend of Wonder Woman. And this <gasps> series is by Renee Deliz. And I've been reading it digitally. And so digitally, we're on chapter 23, but I think in print, we're on issue four. Which, yes, which is probably 12 stories in 12, or whatever. Mm-hmm, 12 chapters in. And Bob, you brought this up saying that, you know, after we talked about Wonder Woman Earth One, we should talk about something that's a little bit more like different and closer to the original origin story. And what makes this series so spectacular is it's written by a woman, drawn by a woman, and has a lot of 
female-centricness going on in it. Um, Wonder Woman is presented as this compassionate, curious person who has a vested interest not only in, in Themyscira, but eventually the entire world. And the thing that really strikes about this, this particular series is that it's set in World War II while also still feeling modern in the way that it's told. And I think that's mm-hmm. something that a lot of people are scared about. Like, you can't tell a World War II story anymore. Like, you just can't do that in a, in a modern comic. But Renee DeLiz is totally doing that in Wonder Woman, Legend of Wonder Woman, and making it feel so natural and, and so good without being outdated at all. So. Well, one thing they do that, that's really clever is her Amazons have been apart for so long. Their glimpses into man's world have been centuries apart. Mm-hmm. They they feel really that everything is already gone, that all the humans have wiped themselves out because their experience shows them that. And yet it's not. So them seeing World War Two is as if they're seeing our world today in that sort of way. So it's such a leap forward. This is so respectful to the original origin that that's that's awful construction of a sentence. I apologize. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Marston's origin. Well, I'll leave it at that. We are still with the clay. We are still about a mother's love. We are still, the mythology is all still there. Mm-hmm. We've added an undercurrent of mother daughterness that we didn't really have. We've never really seen Diana grow up in this way. And it seems natural and very human. But it's not overdone. This has not been turned into a CW teen drama. Right. It is still beautiful and lyrical. And as you say, she's Diana wants to explore Themyscira. She wants to learn. She understands there's more to her life in the world than what she's been presented so far. Her mother eventually, I don't want to spoil too much because who knows where anyone is here, but people should be picking this up. Her mother relents a little bit, even though there's a lot of political intrigue with Hippolyta and her sisters who don't always agree either. (laughs) It's sort of a Game of Thronesy look without all the beheading and all the sexual assault. <laughs> exactly, all it the is cleaner. It is, yes, absolutely, and it's as absolutely glorious to read, considering what we were just talking about last week. For my mind, this is so far and away superior mm-hmm. as a way to retell that old story in a new and different way that still catches all the emotional weight and touchstones of the original. And in a perfect world, honestly, for me, this would lead directly into Greg Rucka's run. Oh yeah. And we would, we would eliminate the new 52 version. (laughs) Did I get mail on that one? (laughs) Um, Also, it is an Eisner nominee. Yes. For best digital webcomic. So if you're not picking it up already, this this series is going to be ending. I believe it's going to be ending soon. I don't think it's a ongoing forever. I think there's a, a definite no. end to it. Um, Nine issues in print, so probably 27. So we're yeah. you're closer to the end than I am. You're I'm probably a couple of weeks away from it being four, over. Four weeks from it ending. And I'm already oh. dreading it because I'm, I'm sitting here thinking like, uh, this is my Wonder Woman fix. I can't let this go. <laughs> Well, we will have two books in the the sense that Greg Ruckers will have two different stories running. Right, right. But it's the way I felt when Sensation ended. Mm -hmm. 
for it seemed that every issue of that that I read in print, which had two or three stories in or two or three chapters, was a pure representation of the character and why she was created. Right. And I, I can only hope that with proper handling, with her 75th anniversary coming later this year, that things will be moving in the right direction. And the, the, two, the, the two per month Wonder Woman's we will get will be more along the lines of what this amazing series is. I was not sold on it to start with. And oh, I'm not so sure, but did some research about Renee DeLiz. You start reading these issues. And as you say, glorious to look at, amazing to read, very dense, mm-hmm. lots of words, but lots of really carefully chosen, wonderful words. This is, when this is collected, I want the giant hardcover special edition with 8,000 pages of backstory yes. and how we got to here. <laughs> Renee DeLiz did tons of research on Wonder Woman and the mythology and the, the World War II period. The, the dialogue is perfectly spot on. If you want to, if you can hear an old movie in the background, but that's the window dressing to a modern story. Mm-hmm. This is a masterpiece. I would love to see this collected with Wonder Woman's original origin story, the the first one, as kind of the part of the back matter, as well as um, oh, that would be great. Any of her research oh, notes send, and things like that. Yes, yeah, send that in. <laughs> Let, yep. Let's write to DC now. Yes, listen, DC, we can fix your Wonder Woman problem. <laughs> if you just let <laughs> oh. us. <laughs> um, we I do, did that on our, our roundtable all those did. months ago. They didn't listen then either, so no. we'll have to try again. No, I do want to take a minute to talk about a book that I, I'm not sure. If Joey read this or not, but I know Bob and Steve have, and that is Bloodstain by Linda Sajic. <gasps> and if that name sounds familiar, it's because she is married to show favorite Stepan Sajic. So Stepan. Yep, Stepan <laughs> Sajic. Um, so Linda is his wife, and uh, the trade of, of her creator-owned series, Bloodstain, just came out from Image. So, um, Steve, do you want to kick it off? Let us know what it's about? Sure. I was going to swing uh, the microphone towards you. <laughs> yes, exactly right. I was in the middle of buying Legend of Wonder Woman. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Oh, I've read I've I've read one through eighteen. Oh, I've been reading it digitally. I kind of like to wait a little bit because uh-huh. I go through them so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of need a little bit more of a good thing mm-hmm. when I can have it digitally like that and just grab it for, you know, 99 cents a pop. Right. So I, I save up like a good three weeks, maybe a month worth. Get a chunk at a time. Yeah. You know, really, really gorge myself, really dig in. <laughs> awesome. No table scraps for me. <laughs> okay. So bloodstain. So here, Bob, may I borrow your book so I don't have to deal with the one thing about going mostly digital that I find irritating is I no longer have like all of my stuff in front of me, like nicely piled and open to stuff and having to navigate. Does anybody know, does comiXology allow you to like bookmark pages from book to book? I wish they allowed you to do annotations because when I'm reading a hardcover or trade, I'd like to keep a sticky note pad next to me where I keep notes and put those notes directly into my comic. If Comicsology ever lets us do annotations, I would be so happy. But alas, mm-hmm. it's not probably not going to happen. 
Yeah. So many ideas. Yeah. On this, people people need to start listening to the comics podcast. <laughs> or taking us seriously, actually, it's probably yes. <laughs> uh, so you gave all right. So you gave this book uh, a lovely introduction. Um, I hope to follow that with some good stuff. Here's the deal. Uh, Elliot Torres is kind of going through uh, a rough patch in her life. She is going from job to job or, or getting pressured to, to get work. Her, she's living with her sister, uh, her sister's husband and kid and mom's in the hospital for something pretty terrible. And Elliot needs to start pulling her weight. And in order to do that, she kind of moves from job to job, fails quite miserably at several of them, and then happens upon kind of a mysterious ad that has been, uh, was it the college campus? Yes. Collecting dust on yeah. the bulletin board. Yeah, collecting dust on the bulletin board. It's been there forever. Um, many people have tried. Everybody has failed. Uh, ran away from the situation, screaming, practically. And... Where we end up by by not spoiling the end of the book, but she basically she decides to pursue this strange, you know, work ad. Um, the only thing is, is that the book is it is it's about her taking the job, but it's about the journey and the the stipulations and like the forming of character before we even get to the job. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to be vague as to not because I mean, we've read it. We know where the story ends and stuff like that. But um, the thing of, it's it's a slice of life book. I didn't realize just how big of a slice it was going to be, um, <laughs> especially coming from from that family of creators. Um, I expected it to be intimate, and I expected it to be um, wordy is not the wrong word, but like really really like filling out your your characters because that's what we have in sunstone and and some of the um oh what is the company that i can't think of right now because i'm stupid um aphrodite is on it top cow top cow that's it thank you um so i went into it having like certain expectations and what i got was just everything that i had anticipated it being and more mm-hmm. in a sense of that you spend so much time with everyone that's involved in this story through these really like private and and intimate conversations and it's very difficult and and um Linda actually talks about this in, in the back of the book that you have to make your your characters have to be automatically compelling if a reader is going to follow them through the most mundane tasks like we practically follow a character on on a job hunt for the vast majority of this book and if you don't have a good character if we're not rooting for them if we don't like their personality if you know we don't enjoy the 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 kooky situations that happen from them going from job to job the book is not going to work and you're going to lose that reader and then just hope that the next one is with you for the ride but the thing about bloodstain is that it is so good at painting who these people are and making you care about them so quickly that I couldn't help but be engaged, like super engaged in the story that by the time that I got to the end of it, I kept on like poking my screen to see the page count and where I was at. And every like 10 to 12 pages, like, 
like, do I stop reading? Because it's going to end soon, and I have no idea where the hell we're going to wind up. Because where I like normally in a, in a book where it's like the setup is like the first two to four pages, where it's like this is your character, this is their situation, this is how they're going to get out of that situation, or at least try. Now they're going to go to that situation, and ooh, we're there, and you know, page five, and now we're doing it. Yeah, this is like a hundred some odd pages of getting to know someone and, and multiple people. It's not just the one character. You get to know the sister pretty damn well. Um, Serge. Yeah. Serge uh, is uh, kind of the, he, he's, involved in the job that she's i'm trying to i'm trying to stay vague. yeah it's like we're trying to like not to spoil it but like the good parts are the ones that are the details like right the the actual like why she's having such a hard time finding a job you know right. why this creepy guy is scaring people away you know why serge right. doesn't want to tell too much about the job and things like that it's i mean i don't know how she does it but it's like you know, like what you were saying see like it's so mundane like a job hunt is so mundane but i was glued to every panel where elliot mm -hmm. is going from job to job to job it was even um there's one page in particular that i loved i pointed it out to bob when we were riding home on the train the other night of her uh she takes a job as a waitress and she actually holds on to this job for a little while and you get a this record, yeah record two months and you get this progression of like her her skills as a waitress and how like fumbling into the dining room uh, in heels, trying to hold the trays and not being able to do it, you know, day day seven, day 16, kind of getting her confidence. What does it say? Ellie-volution. The Ellie-volution Ellie <laughs> of a waitress. <laughs> and, you know, like, she's got her confidence and she's smiling, her eyes are closed, she's skipping around, and then you get to that, to that final paddle, day 40, and she just can't take it anymore, and she's holding up both trays, just rah! <laughs> She's leveled I've actually, up. <laughs> yeah, I've I've actually witnessed that freak out. I think once or twice in my diner days, but um, yeah, I mean, I I enjoy slice of life books. They're they're probably like in my top five favorite comic book genres. I've found, especially over the last two years, that I really enjoy stuff like uh, Giant Days or Octopus Here. Pie, uh, Murr, Bloodstained. Nominated Giant Days. Yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then you have something this is set in the universe uh, that Sunstone is. Mm -hmm. So somewhere else in that world, this is happening. Maybe there'll be a crossover at some point. There is a there is a very a small one in Sunstone where Allie is on her RPG on the video yeah. game and she's saying Ellie and Vlad. Yes. So they Moonstone, it's Moonstone Gates, the game they're playing. So they, they're all like in the same like um, RPG game and uh, that that Ali plays. So, you know, maybe they live nearby and will will, you know, interact in one way or another. But mm -hmm. I think um, Siapon Sage has um, character designs for Vlad and Ellie in their RPG gear in the back of one of the Sunstone books. Yes. I don't remember which one, but. It's, it's totally I think it's there. three. I think it's three. Okay, but not that it matters. You should be buying all of them, and reading all of them. They're glorious. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's what all this now. is about. Mm -hmm. um, Bob, did you want to? Or yeah, did you want to add anything to this? Sure. Absolutely. I'm. I was 
walking, we were in the city that day for my birthday. We went to Forbidden Planet, and I I knew that this was available on her Deviant Art page, on Linda Sayish's Deviant Art pages. No, I need to I need a book. It needs mm-hmm. to go on the shelf with the Sunstones, and there it was calling to me. <laughs> and I I just started thumbing through it, and it was oh yeah, this is this is for me. I was captivated by Ellie's character on basically the first page you see her on. She's doing a job search, looking through the paper. Nope, banned from this one, blacklisted here. And she just sinks back in the chair with the head back, and it's, ah. <laughs> it, 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 it's, as with uh, Stapon, it is the body language. It's the, the smallest tinge of expression in a lip, in an eyebrow, in a scrunched nose. It is subtle and beautiful and so human that you instantly want to read more about these characters. And just as Steve is saying, it's a slice of life. It's a slab of life. Mm-hmm. And I just want to, I just want to be there. What you, you watch her fail at these jobs. She's in a butcher shop. Well, you didn't see him saw a cow in half. <laughs> she, she takes a job in a restaurant cooking and she's asking her sister, Clara, well, we, what'd you think of the pudding? Surprisingly crunchy. Just, She's just not good or anything. She tries. She has a, Ellie has a great heart and a, and a chem degree that isn't getting her anywhere at all these various jobs that we've all suffered with. I'm taking a job here that I'm just not good at, but got to have money. She's trying to help out at home. Mom's sick. And uh, her sister Clara's maternity leave is all that's paying the bills at this point. And she does want to do well. And so you can feel for her struggles. We also know how frustrating it can be to be overqualified, underemployed, in the wrong job. It's the whole Willie Loman death of a salesman idea. And here played out with such heart and humor, when she finally does take that pin out and pulls that ad and makes the, the call to this weird guy. And he is very weird. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He has very weird word balloons, even. <laughs> they're, they're sort of reversed and, and sort of icy and weird stuff going on. I mean, everything in this book is designed to fit the mood and tell a story. I'm as, as I think Steve said to me before, I don't know if he actually said it on the air. Pardon me. I was paying attention. I really was, but it, I was, I was getting ready. <laughs> I want there to be more of this. It ended and I want second volume now. now. Yes. Now immediately now, because I want more of this and that we have come to, appreciate these top cow books with death vigil certainly which mm-hmm. was one of our highlights of last year sunstone now this there's a new switch coming this week mm-hmm. switch number three comes out this week which has been so great it's this little corner of image that not enough people are paying attention to and we're going to make you pay attention gosh darn it yes <laughs> everyone should be reading these that's <laughs> right so who's next mara you just, tell us how yeah. you came to bloodstain um maria Maria Norris, ah. of course, again, since she pointed me to Sunstone and pointed me to Death Vigil, she pointed me to Bloodstain when it was still on DeviantArt. And so on DeviantArt, you can actually download the PDF from her page and read it then. So ah. that's what I had done. And now that it's from Image again, I was like, oh, perfect. It's out there. I could buy it, print, fantastic. So, you know, just basically pretend like I'm echoing everything you guys say. But I also want to point out that, like Sunstone, Bloodstain pulled Linda out of this creative funk, where huh. she, in the back matter, she talks about how things just weren't 
good for her. She could not imagine making a comic. Things were in a bad spot. And then um, Siapon drew her this picture of a scientist and his assistant. And the whole story just came to her from it. Just everything. And she, you know, shows the progression of the characters and how basically this comic rescued her creativity. And just kind of the evolution and, and that you see that, you know, it helps me remember that comics are not just a thing to to enjoy for us to enjoy. It's the the way the creators communicate with the world and, and interpret stories and, and get things out of their head and, and process things. So uh, I, I knowing that back matter and knowing that story and how that fits in with this particular couple and how they, they operate creatively, creatively uh, makes it that much more special to me as a reader. So let's mm-hmm. say... Now, I love the the first picture that, that Stefan did, where it it's. What, what, should we can we use his name or should we save his name? Uh, I think I've or, already or, said his or, name like three times. <laughs> oh, okay, so it's Vlad Stein. I don't know if I want to take a job with someone named Vlad Stein. First of all, but be yeah, yeah. Yeah. you won't be the, the initial the initial image that that sparked her to draw a wall full of pages, just hundreds and hundreds of pages as these stories flow, just would flow out of her pen where she does a drawing. That's sort of the reverse. Mm-hmm. When you go a little back into the back matter where it's, it's now Ellie sort of massaging the doctor's head instead of the other way around. It is those <laughs> role reversals as usual in, 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 in the work here that give you those. Oh yeah. yeah. That I, I know these people I've lived with these people. I've seen when I hung out with these people. They're comics characters, but they're real-life people. It's beyond that there's agency and they're moving forward. No, I know people who would say that and act that way, and whether it's small pauses in the dialogue, weird turns, terrible jokes, whatever, these are living, breathing characters. The characterization here is amazing. It's it's like it's a model for how you should write yes. new characters, things yeah. like that. yeah. Is, you mentioned that the PDF is on the DeviantArt. Is it still up there? It was a couple months ago. I can't imagine why she would pull it off. I mean, Siapon still uploads new panels to Sunstone on his DeviantArt page. So you can actually go on his page and read ahead of where the print for Sunstone is. Huh. Because this sounds awesome. And if it's downloadable, I mean, I'll, I'll take a look. Or if I can find it at my shop, I'll get it too. Mm-hmm. It's um, uh, sold. Comixology, it's eleven ninety nine. For the okay. whole thing, and you get all the back matter as well. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. The back matter is not on DeviantArt. Yeah, it was actually yeah. the the uh, the drawing that he did was actually inspired by um, it was a song. It was a band, right? Halloween. Halloween. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, so the whole the whole thing spurned from a metal album. <laughs> awesome. So uh, that's kind of our official unofficial book of the week, spontaneous book of the week. Which I'm so happy you guys read it too because uh, it was just it was just too good not to talk about. Uh, Agreed. Doctor Strange, the trailer. Did you guys see it? Sure. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yes. All right. All right. Um, I I mean I, I don't have much to say about it, so I'll just kind of get my little thing out and then move on with with y'all's interpretation. I stayed up late to watch the Jimmy Kimmel uh, reveal. Which I was really disappointed that Benedict Cumberbatch wasn't there on the set, but whatever. Um, I don't know much about Doctor Strange beyond the new Jason Aaron stuff. Like, I just jumped in with that issue one and decided to give it a shot. So, I think 
the trailer left me underwhelmed because I don't have that connection with the character. But I do appreciate that it begun very real world and grounded in reality and then introduced our fantasy elements later. So that that being said, uh, Joey, what did you think about it? Yes. Uh, I enjoyed it. I, I think that Doctor Strange is a great story. Uh, we've kind of talked about it on the show in the past. Um, and I've read, I read the, uh, uh, what the Eternity arc, Bob, is called, is it just called Eternity? Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So yeah, good. that one, I read that one, you know, that, that kind of um, uh, seminal work. And I, I've read a lot of Doctor Strange over the last couple of years. I love the character. Um, the I've had problems with Doctor Strange, the film, ever since they started announcing casting. So, like, I, the whole Tilda Swinton thing as the ancient one that, that, you know, blew up the internet when the trailer was released, rightfully so, is something that I, that because I follow the dirt sheets and because we kind of do what we do here with the show, I've known about for months. So, like, when people were like, oh my gosh, this is, this is, this is erasure and all of that. And it is, I was like, guys, where were you six months ago? When we were talking about this, you know? Um, but, but I'm, I, I am glad that the conversation is happening. I think it's a different conversation than the iron fist one that we had a few, uh, a few months ago. I think it's a different conversation here because what, what's happening with Dr. Strange and the ancient one is, is erasing um, culture, not, talking necessarily about representing it but actually erasing it mm -hmm. uh which is a, a a different problem and in my opinion a much more devastating one to the concept of representation um and i was hoping in the trailer to see something that says oh they made a very clear and conscious choice by putting tilda swinton in this role and you know they went a different way with it and it's sort of whatever it, it, it makes sense and i didn't see that what i did see was um a character playing a character who's supposed to be clearly asian right like uh or, or some some variant variant thereof uh there was really nothing that sparked for me and was like oh no that was the that was the right choice that was totally fine whatever's so yeah. that was disappointing for me. Um, I think Cumberbatch is great. I always thought that he would be. Uh, I'm so glad Chiwetel Ejiofor is in the in the in the film. Um, visually, it was interesting. Uh, it wasn't as psychedelic as I was kind of hoping it would be. Um, I was kind of hoping for it to be a little bit trippier than the Inception esque kind of imagery that we got. But um, it was cool. I was kind of, uh, like you said, a little underwhelmed and all of those bad feelings I had when they announced the casting, none of it got, you know, you don't feel better about it. Over or cleaned up. I don't feel better. No. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah. And then that alongside some of the other stuff that I'm sure we'll talk about has made it a very interesting week mm -hmm. uh, in terms of representation. Yeah. So before we get into more of the representation problem, Bob, what did you think? Okie dokie. Now. <laughs> I love that we're doing Doctor Strange's origin origin. Yeah. That okay. they haven't changed it up. It's it's the the arrogant surgeon who comes upon hard times, car accident. They show the car in the, in the culvert and so on and so forth. His damaged hands. Great. I, as 
people who've been around our show a long time, I am always going to be for fidelity to source material unless we're into something really heinous. We go back into some of the racist portrayals of the, of the 40s of some of the characters, the spirits, assistant Ebony or things like that. The Ancient One, as written by Stan and Steve Ditko all those years ago, was a character who spread peace and knowledge and wisdom through basically all eternity. He was really very, very ancient. And if that if if that Asian character is is a stereotype, is I, I don't understand why that someone felt that needed to be changed to make it more acceptable. Now that also said, it, did, did Marvel really have an out here? <laughs> if they leave him as an Asian character, the the kung fu mystic standing there in a in a long gown. Would people have said, you're just playing to that trope? But then in trying to change it, they changed it so drastically, they fell into the same sort of set of attacks and problems, and rightly so, because this is hideous. Mm-hmm. So where, so if they had stuck with fidelity to the source material, you could at least say, this is what was in the books, we're going with that, and here's why, because this character represents all the goodness on the magic side of the Marvel Universe. He is that important. We're staying with it. We understand it might be problematic. This is not Fu Manchu with long fingernails, the yellow menace character, that the, you know, the, the terrible term from back in the 30s and 40s. This is not what we're doing. This is a special character who needs to be presented as written. Mm-hmm. And they didn't and that that shows a lack of courage and a lack of fortitude to what they should be trying to do yeah because through a major movie like dr strange you can erase the racism you can go back and you can show that you you can have a powerful asian man in the movie or and i just can't unsee like the second they announced tilda swinton i was like michelle yeah like I would have died if they put Michelle Yeoh in that part. I would have just like been so because I think one of the things that they are thinking about is the ancient one as a woman is so interesting mm-hmm. and so cool, and and I just can't unsee it. They like, missed the mark. I know, I know, and we don't know. We don't know the casting. We don't know um, who they talked to, and and they did say, you know, we spoke with, you know. A, a ton of different actors and actresses for this, and and some were Asian American Pacific Island, and and, and I know that they did that, but um, I think Bob just kind of t- talking to your point, uh, w- the problem here, and again, this is why I think it is different than than when we talked about it with Iron Fist, is like they have this character and their their def- not default, but their kind of if it was a solution or an out or whatever was to cast a white actor yes. right and that's kind of the the default and i think there was a piece in the la times a couple of days help me synthesize what i was thinking about it because because i've been thinking about it for so many months i was like i'm not as outraged as everybody else i don't know what what to say but this piece really talked about that and how the kind of default was like well you know if if we're if we need it out and we don't want to think about you know playing to stereotype and all of that that then we should do this um and and 
it just comes off in a very particular way. And again, it just didn't seem it's a trailer. So we don't have the whole movie in front of us, but it just didn't seem like there was any logic behind it. And it, yeah. it didn't seem justified and that's it's problematic. Yeah. It, it, yeah. So. yeah. And she's, a, and well, let's say she's a great actress. She could play as a male character. We don't know in the movie, will she perhaps morph into other characters? Anything is possible. But then that said, in the trailer, if we're going to go down those roads, they should show some of that. Mm-hmm. Show yeah. that this is the latest representation of this character. She can be all of them at once or however many she chooses. You could make something special out of it, and they've chosen that default, which is just lazy. I don't <laughs> care how many... Yeah, I don't care how... Dr. Right. Panassas version. <laughs> right, you could. But there, there, as you say, there are so many Asian actors. I, I, I've been going back to... For those who remember Big Trouble in Little China, you're James yeah. Hong. I, I hope I'm pronouncing oh. that correctly. Right. Who now is 30 years later is old enough to play a 70 year old who could play 7000 year old sorcerer. I think he was <laughs> on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes. So just so many other choices. But in the age we're in, where we're, everyone tries to parse out the sentence to make sure there's not a negative reaction. Somebody dropped the ball here. Huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, for me, it's always about fidelity. I, as great an actor as you now have in the part of Baron Mordo, I'd prefer the sort of Transylvanian Baron Count we saw all those years ago from Stan and, and Steve. Mm-hmm. So I, my, I'm going to always end up being consistent with that for whatever that's all worth. And that would have caused some consternation, too. But there are so many other characters we could reviews. What if he is, if the change you make is he's Brother Voodoo, who becomes the Sorcerer Supreme in the Marvel Universe for a long time as a great character, and just use that as part of the origin, sliding him up? Because Baron Mordo is a great character only in that he's in Doctor Strange. He was never did very much. Clea's better. Dormammu's better. Uh, so... You could have slid him into that spot and have him be a student of the ancient one at the same time. Have your diversity still have a Marvel character that's tied to Doctor Strange and who eventually becomes a great hero. Hmm. So now we have another African-American hero who could move forward into the Marvel universe instead of now you've got a bad guy, which plays into a whole other trope. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well said. Yeah, so many... So many wonderful things and so many mistakes all in a minute and a half trailer. How do they manage that? Steve, what'd you think? Uh, oh. <laughs> Steve loved it. Uh, I've, praise, I've watched praise, it praise, 75 praise. times. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with a couple of things uh, in regard to this trailer, to be honest. Uh, my expectations for this, granted, it's what, a minute and a half? Yeah, it's not a whole lot. And it's... Yeah, and it's a montage of things or whatever, but the pedigree that this is that this is coming from—not like these these have been like you know life-altering films or anything—but you've got uh, Scott Derrickson, who in the past has uh, directed *The Exorcism of Emily Rose*, which a lot of people don't like that movie. I thought it was pretty damn cool. Bob likes it, so it's automatically good. <laughs> um, I've owned Sinister on Blu-ray since 2012 and have yet to watch it. But from what I've heard, it's it's decent. Uh, I'm terrible with with buying things and then just leaving them on the shelf. You're here. Um, 
Deliver us from evil. Haven't seen that. Uh, you said the earth the day the day the earth stood still was shit. Garbage. Okay, so that was garbage. But okay, so when it was first proposed that we were getting a Doctor Strange movie, the consensus was, you know, you've got your magic film, your Norse gods with Thor. You've got you know all these little corners of the the Captain uh, Captain America's the timepiece. And all of these things. And when we heard the director and when we heard like rumblings of Doctor Strange, I thought we were getting like Marl's Marl's Marvel's Marvel's version of a horror movie. Hmm. Okay. So imagine my surprise when or I shouldn't say surprise, but just kind of my my heart sank just a little bit when I saw what we got was pretty much just, you know, different shots of Benedict Cumberbatch in different states of beard, and then and I'm and like and I'm watching and I'm like, all right, well you know like kaleidoscope hallway, like that's cool, mm-hmm. uh, Inceptiony looking uh, spotless mind stuff going on, like all right, like that's a that's a cool shot and stuff like that. Not what I was imagining, but this is again a minute and a half, and these are only just a couple seconds worth of something, but there's potential. There's potential there. There's potential not only for them to do a lot of really crazy, like psychedelic visual stuff. It's also goes to argue that it might be a Marvel movie that's actually worth seeing in 3D to to get that full effect of of all that craziness that's going on. Um, So I'm still holding out for that. So, you know, when when you're one of these people that pays attention to the comic book trends and you read all the headlines and you follow this stuff, I knew about. Tilda Swinton, you know, a while ago. And I, I remember the uproar about it. And then just like anything else on the internet, it went away as things do because something else comes along to take its place and people get mad at that. Um, but now we're back. Like we're, we're back in full swing and I didn't get to, I, I didn't get to really see anybody's reactions to the trailers and I'm watching it and I'm like, all right. I'm like, that's interesting. That's cool. That's cool. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh! It's like you just remember everything. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and see, see, that's the thing. Like the when it's just an article on the internet, or when it's just a hashtag, it only reaches so many, so many people because there are only so many people that have their finger on the pulse of this stuff. But then you go ahead and you give everybody a trailer. And this this trend of putting, you know, Caucasian actors in the roles of of people of color, different ethnicity, all this other stuff. You know, now now the Doctor Strange more like I can't just sit here and watch this trailer and have a really good time because all of a sudden there's this blaring, blinding, you know, offensive thing that is in this trailer. I like Tilda Swinton. She was pretty much the only thing that got me through Snowpiercer. Because that movie was weird, but she was oh, awesome. I love Snowpiercer. <laughs> no, I like. I, I dig it. I dig it. I especially like the end. I thought the end was was because it was over. Very, yeah. <laughs> one of the long, one of the longest movies I've ever seen in my life. It's up there with uh, Gangs of New York. It's so good. No, it's anyway, good. Go it, ahead, it's go good. Ahead. It's good. It's really weird, but it's good. I like weird, but it was a little weird even for me. Um, <laughs> But she in that movie 
I was any scene that she was in, I was like totally invested. And I've seen her in other stuff too. And I and I enjoy her as an actress. And I was like, okay, if they're gonna do this, at least they have somebody who I know can slip into this role and will be able to pull it off with style, do her own thing with it, and I'm willing to see what's up. And then the trailer came out and I saw just how much like the the Tibetan backdrop, like they, they're obviously they're they're really gonna go for it, right? Mm-hmm. But instead of it being like, oh, that's a neat take, I was like, wow, <laughs> this is, I can definitely, you know, I didn't pipe up much for the iron the Iron Fist stuff just because honestly, some some of the stuff is new to me, all this, you know, th- this this call to arms because I, I grew up in a house where race was not a thing. Like my my parents. We had friends from all over the place. Like it didn't matter. You know, her, she was a, a roller skating uh, champion and her skating partner was, you know, black as the night and he was the best. And I just, I grew up in, in, you know, people, colorblind household. yeah, colorblind household. And so, you know, race has never come in, come into play for me. But now I'm seeing these reactions. I'm seeing like the the evidence of this attitude, and honestly, it's the studios. Like the studios need to make these calls. I mean, maybe they said, you know, we're going to do something else. Maybe they thought that they could trade off. Where if they don't have uh, a Tibetan uh, actor or or somebody of Asian descent like coming into the role, at least we're having another woman in our movies and you know that will quell the internet beast Wrong. yeah and I, I think that they they severely <laughs> underestimate how passion how how impassioned these you know everybody is about this stuff and damn right like you know there is definitely a place for for outrage in this situation mm-hmm. and um you know i i i i just this sounds bratty and it's it's a I feel almost like an asshole for saying it, but like I hate sitting there and waiting until midnight and being like, did it go? Did it air? Did it air? Sweet. Like, oh my God, like Doctor Strange. I want to see. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. Oh, shit. <laughs> you know? And I just, I want to get back to when we can just have a good time. I, you know, being in doing the podcast, being on the website, being involved in the community and everything. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes I get into a place where like I almost dread seeing these things and and seeing like who who is going to pull something out of this warranted or not, who is going to pull something out of this and just light the fire. Mm -hmm. And and then and then it just takes a couple more people with a couple of cups of gasoline to throw on it. And before you know it, it's very hard to enjoy these announcements because everybody dogpiles with their opinions. Yeah. And some of them are justified. Like this one is, this one definitely is. And, you know, to piggyback off of this problem, I really, really want to bring up ghost in the shell because Mm -hmm. that's something else that came out this week um, that we've known for a while, you know, like, like Steve had mentioned, we know, you know, Tilda Swinton will be taking this role of an Asian man and doing that erasure. And we've known for a while that Scarlett Johansson will be taking the role of an Asian woman in an Asian centric film based on a manga and an anime. And just seeing the picture of it come out, it's like, Oh, you guys are really 
actually going to do this? And what? You're putting an Asian filter on these pictures, on this this film, so they look more Asian? Like, what? Why? Why? Wait, wait. <laughs> why? Wait, wait. Now, they, they said that they, the studio attempted a VFX shot that kind of put an Asian filter. Here's rumored. I don't know if it was verified. But I don't think they CGI fix to it. Yeah. Right? yeah, I don't think they actually ended up doing that. But still, I, I heard. Yeah, I heard that they that they experimented with it, but they scrapped it. I'm glad they because scrapped it's it. Racist. Yes. <laughs> I I mean I I don't know a hundred percent sure, but I'm pretty much sure that the last headline that I read definitely claimed that it was something that they had toyed with in the early days of production, but decided against it. Even the fact that they were toying with it. It's like, mm. you did you guys yeah. not, like, did you read the manga? Did you know it's set in Japan? Did you know her name is Motoko Kusanagi? Motoko Kusanagi, yeah. <laughs> did you know these things? And granted, yeah. a lot of manga and anime have Western styles of beauty represented, yeah. where, you know, they have blonde hair. They have massive, snow-white, Disney-style eyes. They have very pale skin they they look american but why mm. add to that erasure why why make it worse right. when you have the opportunity to bring forth a primarily asian cast and create that and particularly for me i've what little i've seen of these things or read what they are are very asian centric stories from asian cultures mm mm-hmm. mhm and so then trying to insert an entire American cast, I, I think if you do, as they did with some of the Japanese horror films, you just turn it over completely. We're not going to make this an American story, but don't try to keep those trappings because then it becomes very offensive. Mm -hmm. You're definitely trying uh, uh, an end run around the problem and it's never, never going to work. Right. Uh, I do I do want to point out, and I'm definitely not going to read it because it's a huge, long string of, of tweets from John Sway, and that's J-O-N-T-S-U-E-I, and he's going on about how you cannot separate Ghost in the Shell from Japan. Like that story, that mm. relationship with technology and how technology builds through and how you have this futuristic story, that's Japan at that time. You know, where, right. you know, the economic boom and um, the world leader in technology and, and things like that. And to take this kind of story out of Japan and make it set in America, you that's another type of erasure. That's, you know, it's not only erasing what we see yeah. in race, but it's erasing what we could learn about a culture. You know, Japan right. de is demilitarized mm. and what they relied on instead was building technology. And Ghost in the Shell is so heavy on the technology and, and the potential of it and, you know, the singularity and, and how cyborgs and, and the internet and, and things like that. And just saying, Nope, it's America now it's, you know, Americanized things like that. So yeah. we saw this. Also I mean, with... like the... Go ahead. Go ahead, Joey. Oh, I, I was going to say that, um, I don't know. You mentioned the kind of Japanese monster movies before Bob, but like, like Mar saying, like the second you switch it over, right. Western concept, like they did with the kind of Godzilla thing, um, uh, mythos, whatever you want to say, um, the narrative changes, right? In Japan, and, and those original films are about the fears of, of nuclear proliferation. Oh, and, oh and Joey, I, I, I agree with that 100%. I don't mean to jump in. I was more referring to things like The Grudge and The Ring. 
Oh yeah, but I mean, right? Because the Godzilla movies didn't work here, even when you tried to artfully insert Raymond Burr into it. It just doesn't right. quite work. And not not even talking about that Matthew Broderick monstrosity. <laughs> no Classic. Intended. Classic. Right. No, but, I, I know, agree 100%. And I, I'm probably yeah. even wrong about the grudge in the ring because those ghost tales, when you see that some of the actually quite right. But, but <laughs> it, it, I don't know how much tied into Japanese culture is when you see things like Kwaidong, the original Japanese ghost story, or Koju, they are inherently Japanese. Right. But, but, uh, but I think what Mara's mentioning is like, I, I feel like what's happening here with Ghost in the Shell is the attempt to kind of like adapt this manga or adapt this narrative and just not necessarily do the westernization of it. It's actually replacing the 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 the, the character, the replacing the person playing the character sure. or the person that ought to be playing it, which is a different kind of thing than westernizing it, like taking you know Infernal Affairs and making it The Departed. Right, right. Like or that, the Seven Samurai guy. making Magnificent Seven. Right, like that's a right. different thing than I think what's going on here with 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 this. But uh, Mara, you were going to bring up another example. Yes. Yes. All you need is kill slash Edge of Tomorrow slash Live yeah, Die Repeat. <laughs> <laughs> that is a Japanese said, novel. There's a Japanese yes. novel taking place in Japan, and they're yeah. they're fighting aliens in tech suits. Like that is it. That's like that's, and then it's. Not like I can't remember the character Tom Cruise plays, but he's not Japanese. No, oh. but but and this is kind of like what I was saying. Like I actually like that movie uh, outside of the that element of it, which is the <laughs> adaptation. I don't know if they made a, a Japanese uh, or an, a, a film in in all based on more directly based on the manga, but shifting the narrative over to England and the kind of parallels to the the Blitz and all of that, I think worked for that film. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people liked that film it did bomb but but i i liked that film i didn't read the original book but um again i just feel like there's something different going on here like you were saying about how the story in ghost in the shell is so inextricably linked to mm-hmm. you know this Jap- japanese technology and all of that mm-hmm. like it's so much about about that place it was edge of tomorrow was yeah. make it a world war ii allegory and in a way that worked mm-hmm. um but i don't know if that's happening with this who knows? Who knows? It, it just, you know, as someone who, and I don't know, do you like, do you guys, you guys don't read a whole lot of manga or a whole lot of, or watch a whole lot of anime. I think Steve does. I've, I watch, I've, I've watched a lot. I, I have seen Ghost in the Shell. I've seen uh, Innocence. I've seen the Standalone Complex. Okay. I've seen Arise. I've seen the whole bit. So, so, you know, you're probably in the same camp as I am where it's like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited by Ghost in the Shell movie. But also this is not what I want to be excited about. So it's that Here's, conflict. Here- like, yeah, go ahead. It's like I really, really want to want to watch this movie. I want to be excited for it, but then I'm like, I don't really want to support this type of interpretation. Right. I mean, I kind of learned my lesson when Aeon Flux came out, and <laughs> oh, God. I I used to love uh, like my jam was Liquid Television on MTV late at night. I would tape it, watch it, and before school, like the whole bit and. When they said Charlize Theron is going to be Aeon, I'm like, whoa, you know, all right. And, you know, it really wasn't that great then either. But <laughs> it's such a it's such a shame where things like this happen and they, they announce that there's going to be, you know, an Americanized version of an anime film. It's like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, I think, bought the rights to Akira at one point. 
Ooh, or somebody. Okay. Somebody somebody bought the rights to Akira. They were trying to get that up off the ground on like three different occasions. And it keeps on, oh, we're going to do it. No, we're not going to do it. Oh, we're going to do it. No, nah, just kidding. Nah, no, we're totally, no, we're not doing it. Um, and it's happened time and time again. And the problem, or like the, the Crow remake, they keep on threatening us with a remake of The Crow. And there are just, there are certain things that I don't think need adaptations. The Ghost in the Shell, an Americanized version, why? Just go watch the anime. Why? Like there's so much anime yeah. and it's all good and the manga is good. You don't need a live action movie. You especially don't need an Americanized one when there's yeah. such a huge canon to pull from to experience right. originally. I mean, like I won't lie. Like if, if somebody, if they tell me, you know, they're making a ghost in the shell movie, like you could go to the movies this Friday, pay whatever exorbitant amount of money that they ask you for. <laughs> so the jungle book last night. $35 for two people. Oh, oh that's disgusting. You got to hit those. <laughs> well, I can talk about that. $6. Right. But like, here's the thing, like they're doing it anyway, right? Like even if I campaigned and I started to get, you know, people to sign something, you know, don't make it. They're not going to listen to me. They're yeah. going to make this movie because they think it's going to make a lot of money and they're going to get, they're going to stick, you know, everybody's favorite Scarlett Johansson in the role. And, and because it's her, everybody's just going to eat it up. And it's going to be fine. And for somebody like me who loves Ghost in the Shell, Ghost in the Shell was like, I I broke my teeth on anime with stuff like Akira and Ghost in the Shell and like the first episode of Cowboy Bebop because I've never finished it. And, you will someday. You will. Uh, it's one of my it's one of my anime list of shame. Uh, we all have it. We all have one of those. <laughs> so, you know, when when I'm not excited when when I'm like, I'll see it because it's coming out anyway. There's nothing I can do to stop it. And I, unfortunately, there are people that, that don't see stuff because they, they vote with their wallets. And I do that sometimes. But I am also a sucker for morbid curiosity. More, more often than not, morbid curiosity will win out with me and I will subject myself to whatever that happened with Fuller House. It happened with that shitty Western. Western. We already been through this. I watched it. Happened with Batman versus Superman. Well, <laughs> it happened that to me. I had, it was one that of those I had. I, 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 I really wanted to to walk away from that movie feeling feeling good about maybe not all of it, but about about most of it. And I, I walked away feeling you know good about very little. Um, and nobody and you know nobody wins in that situation, especially me. You know, anybody that, that tweets me or tells me like, well, you wanted to hate it. Like I wanted to hate a Batman versus Superman movie. Mm -mm, Are you serious did. right now? Come on. But whatever. One of, one of ahead, the things that's interesting is like, and again, this was in that, that LA Times article and I've been reading up on it in the last couple of days is like, we're talking about voting with your wallets and all of that. And, and if you look historically at these, in these films that, that do this, like, for example, Edge of Tomorrow, we brought up before, or Last Airbender, that classic. Right Flux, right? Like, these movies do bomb. Like, they don't do well. So, uh, this kind of, and yet, the issue persists. And I think a, a comment that you made originally where it's like, the issue isn't necessarily, you know, uh, one of the issues is the assumption that 
we need to put certain actors in roles to make money. Like that's one issue that is a, a throwback to old Hollywood that just they're still operating that way. But I think one of the other issues is like the the question of representation for certain groups of minorities are behind are still very very far behind and and we are getting better in some regards for example with with women and african americans and black actors like that is a conversation that has been going and been progressing but if we look and we think about Native Americans, Johnny Depp and um, uh, uh, Rooney Mara, yes. Rooney Mara, right? Playing playing these Native American characters, and we think about the constant, constant erasure of Asian American and yellow actors and actresses from these roles, right? Like Emma Stone in Aloha. Recently. Aloha, exactly. Oh. Like this, this is this is even further behind, right? And it is a it is a cultural thing, and it is a societal thing, where it's like when we think about minority representation, we have a first tier of things that we think about immediately. And then there are things that we kind of are still even further behind on. And that is a cultural thing that does need to kind of get addressed as it is being addressed in, in, in the kind of industry thing as well. Mm -hmm. Let me, let me jump in for just a second and and propose a a theory or a, or a thought or a possibility to you all. The theory. Let's think about this for a second. Let's go back to ghost in the shell. Okay. You just posed the question, Joey, right? Why? These they've tried to do this before a couple of times, and the movies never really go over that right. well. Okay, so here's the thing: how long have how long has Marvel been making their their movies now? Oh Eight gosh. years, about about ten years. Okay, so obviously I'm gonna be speaking in very general terms here. Hollywood, let's just call them Hollywood. Okay, Hollywood is very comfortable now with the idea that if they make a movie about a comic book, especially the big two, that it's going to do well. You know, people are, are really this, the, the community and even they've even gotten like the mass public to be entertained by these movies because the vast majority of them have been very, very good and they're entertaining films and whatnot. But in the case of ghost in the shell, what if they're starting to get, a little scared or a little fatigued by the idea of constantly having to pull from the comic book universes. Why don't we as a studio try to move on and get a jump on the next big trend and how like superhero movies or comic book related movies are now their own genre. What if somebody's trying to like get in on the, the Americanized, the anime uh, genre or let's say the video game genre if they're trying still trying to make the last of us movie yeah and so, like they're trying they're putting out these movies with people like scarlett johansson hoping that like this will be the the next thing and this will spark you know now now comes the the cowboy bebop movie there comes the you know i don't know another dragon ball z movie yeah, you know, <laughs> I, think, I think that is part of it, right? This idea that that, that uh, geek culture is becoming a marketable commodity, right? It's like how in the early two thousands, jukebox musical yeah. theater nerd kind of stripes here, but jukebox musicals was a marketable commodity, and they were selling, and they were just making and making and making these. And I think that you're right. I think that geek culture is becoming. A marketable commodity, so they're going to reach into whatever whatever realms that they can reach into. And the question is, like, 
it, it, the question that maybe just spinning off of your theory is it that well if we're gonna go this route i don't think we can just make a live action anime with japanese american and asian american pacific islanders and chinese and all these actors in these roles because that's not going to make us back our money our investment like that's a whole nother slew of of problems that come out of that you know it's not going to put the masses in the seats right it's going to be a niche right like which which in some ways like it the things that we love and the things that we talk about every week it is a niche culture you know um and to make it marketable it's it's the the problem is that the impulse to make it marketable is to erase the cultural identifiers yep. of it you know it comes back to the dollar yep well what studio what studio is putting out this ghost in the shell i have no idea I believe it's Sony. I can double check. I was going to say it's probably Sony. If okay. I Sony, Sony, who at this point doesn't really have because they've had to let Marvel a movie for them because they botched it up so badly the last time around. <laughs> so here's a way for them to get in on a property that won't cost them as much money, I'm sure, as dealing with Marvel. Right. And they can't create their own because that's not. It doesn't have any brand identification, which is why there's so much of this going on to start with. So we have something we can attach a name to that people know and we'll make it safer and softer and more American. Yeah. While we're at it's it, a, because well, everyone wants Americans and everything. It's DreamWorks distributed by Paramount, but Avi Arad, who did produce those Sony Spider-Mans, yeah, is the you producer go. on it. Uh, there you go. Ka-ching. There it is. So we've we've gone far from Doctor Strange trailer, but I think it's all valid conversation. I mean, these are things uh, that need to, be brought up, need to be brought up anyway. Yeah. Um, on a much happier, more positive note, Eisner Award nominees have been released. And there are several sites all around the internet that list them all out. And one thing I do want to point out, Giant Days is on the list. Giant Days! For Bandette! Yes, on. and Bandette and Silver Surfer. And all the weird stuff. Joelle Jones. Stuff. Is on yes, here. Lady Killer, all over the place. Best new series that we I was reading this before to Steve. Best new series on the Eisen Award sounds like our list. Yes, it is our Bitch list. Planet, <laughs> Harrow County, Paper Girls, Squirrel Girl, Monstrous, and Kaiju Max. Yeah, so this this has been like fantastic, and I think a lot of people out there have been doing the number crunching um, as far as the gender breakdowns, and that yes. uh, we are women are increasing our presence on these lists. And I think there's a woman in every category except like maybe six of the categories or something like that. Like it's it's pretty outstanding. And some categories have more women in it than men. And Amazing. we just, you know, we just mentioned best new series. Bitch Planet has a female lead. Harrow County has a female lead. Monstrous has a female lead. Paper Girls, female lead. Unbeatable Squirrel, Girl, Squirrel Girl, female lead. Kaiju Max, I interlibrary loaned from my library, so I have not read that yet, but I, Maybe it has a female lead. Hopefully, there's some female monsters in that one. <laughs> and if not, Absolutely, it should. <laughs> yes, yeah. it has to because it's in this group. So it's it's really um, kind of one of those things where I'm making my list of things to read. I'm going to my library. I'm I'm pulling things out. I am really excited about this Eisner list. Is there anything that stands out to you guys as a, a great addition? Something that really deserves to be on this list? Uh, all the things that we always talk about. True. No, but seriously, 
you look best digital webcomic, Legend of One Woman Bandit, Fresh Romance. Mm-hmm. We've got books from the smallest publishers with things like uh, the Drawn and Quarterly Anthology. It celebrates everything. And this list, I think more than most recently, there's a mainstream component. As there has been in the past, Hawkeye made these lists, but we have DC, Marvel, and Image, as well as these small companies, and they're in those smaller books, whether it's Squirrel Girl, whether it's Bitch Planet, Lady Killer, Chronauts, uh, Mark Millar, Sean Murphy, we've got Harrow County, we've got early reader books, Bobby, uh, best publication for kids, Bobby Yaga's assistant, uh, Marika Mukula, which I had as one of my uh, covers of the week some while back which is really scary and manga-inspired and European at the same time. If you're a Ghibli fan, it's that. Ghibli or Ghibli? Help me out here, Dan. Uh, I think Ghibli. people go both ways. Okay. Ghibli. All right. Well, I was, I was close. Either mm-hmm. way. And it is just such a varied list. We've got best writers, Marjorie Lou G. Willow Wilson, Ms. Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Laura Allred as a colorist. Amanda Connor, Joel Jones on the covers. Colleen Coover, best painter. Just a lot of amazing things on here. Um, I think someone also did number crunching as far as publishers, and that Fantagraphics actually had the most books. Fantagraphics has the most, yeah. Yeah, and that was surprising to me because in the past year, I'm like, did I? Like, I bought Hip Hop Family Tree for Matt for Valentine's Day. So I'm like, well, obviously now I have to go and read it because people are talking about how great it is. And now... I am tuned in more to Fantagraphics and, you know, trying to mm-hmm. build up what I'm reading from that company. How awesome is it that in the category for best continuing series, that Giant Days is standing among books like Bandette and something like Invincible, uh, Silver Surfer Giant and Southern Bastard. Seriously, like we've been talking about that book from the start and it went from being a limited to being a some more then to being an ongoing now, right? Mm hmm. And just yeah. to watch that book climb uh, in its success has been amazing. I was uh, a little surprised to see The Spire by Simon Spurrier and Jeff Stokely. I remember reading the first issue of that and thinking it was really interesting, but then I kind of lost when it was coming out and I never went back to it. Yeah, I didn't Now I'm past... like super yeah. curious to read it. I thought um, it's good. Melissa Megan said it was good, so yeah. I may give it another shot. And I am absolutely over the moon. Uh, one of the books I actually didn't talk about on the podcast tonight was uh, I read the new Harrow County. Yeah. And Harrow County has been outstanding from issue one all the way to current. Um, there's there's something going on in the newest storyline that is just so absolutely terrifying. Um, it's just it's one of the best horror books that I've ever read. Monstrous is is elaborately wonderful in all ways. A uh, huge, huge world-building book for that. But um, yeah, there is a lot of super, super good stuff. Ah, Super Mutant Magic Academy. I know. <laughs> I Best know. I see? They listen to the podcast. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what's what going is, on here. You know, We're looking at sex castle. Look at that list. Step aside. Huh? Oh, step aside, pops. I thought you were pointing to the sex castle. Oh. Like, well, you talk about that one on the podcast. <laughs> I was looking at the list and I saw Sex Castle and I was like, who the who the hell read Sex Castle other than me writing a review for the site? You know, I was like, what? And and there were other things on there. I was like, March of the Crabs, which was this weird book that Boom like reprinted from the French. Mm-hmm. And I read it because I was like, this looks strange. It was I good. Wrote the review. I loved it. it and was- I was like, there's so much weird stuff on the Eisner's list this year the and great stuff too. Tits. 
mm-hmm. story of my tits. Um, there's great stuff like March was on there, which obviously like I adore two brothers, you know, like yeah. the variety, just the ongoing list. Long walks about Hala. There you go. We, we, ah, it was just, it was, it's, it's, been a, what a time to be alive I know. <laughs> so hopefully hopefully in the next couple months as we lead up to um when these awards are given out um like i said i've i've got my list from the library i've put in my interlibrary loan so as as they come in and as i read them i will share with you guys what i thought of them especially um for the the kids the the youth and the under eight groups i'm really interested in um, digging into those so lots of really cool, positive stuff um, after, you know, erasure and yeah. <laughs> Very well played. We're yes. all about balance. Um, right. We have a couple questions that uh, our listeners have sent in. And the first one comes from Katrina Northern. And she talks about, um, you know, how she uh, she works for a publisher and there's a YA Catwoman from D.C. coming out. And she wants to get her her she wants to sink her teeth into some good Catwoman stories in terms of character building, you know, getting to know Selena and getting to know who the Catwoman is. So what trades would you recommend? And she also asks, is the new 52 stuff any good? So, oh. okay. Hold on now. <laughs> so let's, let's break this down. Now. Let's break this down. So let's start with trades. So think, you know, your classic Catwoman stories. I think, Joey, you had one that you were like over the moon about. There are... Um, Ed Brubaker took over the book in 2001. He did these great Slam Bradley kind of backups for a little while. And then he wrote Catwoman for three years. And that's where he, with Darwin Cook on art, and that's where you get the kind of reimagined Selena with the goggles and the combat boots instead of, you know, the cat suit, the purple mm-hmm. cat suit. Um, and they collected those issues into four separate volumes. Uh, the first one's called Dark End of the Street. Second was Crooked Little Town. Third was Relentless, and four was Wild Ride. I think the Slam Bradley backups are in the in that first volume. It's amazing. It's Darwin Cook, so the art is so distinct and so pulpy. Um, and I'm I'm huge Brew Baker fan. So uh, to, he just does such a wonderful job reimagining that character while also kind of staying true to who she is at her core. And those 36, 37 issues um are really really dynamic really really entertaining and um really if she's looking for something that introduces her to a good version of that character i think that's that's a good place to start awesome Mm. steve do you have anything to add to that without going into new 52 yes i do um catwoman when in rome written by jeff Loeb with art by tim sale Two votes for that. One. Yeah, two votes, uh, Bob. <laughs> three. <concurs. laughs> okay, there we go. Back Times up. three. <laughs> yeah, I am a huge, huge fan of the the Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale uh, creative team combination. They are kind of a a before my time Snyder and Capullo ish uh, pairing that they just complement each other so well, and it's an absolutely gorgeous book with Catwoman being very smart and 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 calculating and uh just uh, bob here you go ahead no you got it no go i've got it you've got the mic that's all i got (laughs) that's all you need to know again it is a great investigation of the character as something beyond so a thief who wants shiny things there's undercurrent of why she does and how she does 
more importantly. So just just a wonderful, wonderful book. I even though it's not classic Catwoman, I would definitely have good things to say about the Jean Via Valentine, Gary Brown that just came out in the new 52 as it's Selena as a gang lord as she's trying to sort of save Gotham from itself. Steve is on. I will say one thing to that. It is it is very good as far as the the new 52 stuff goes. You I personally didn't care for the stuff that came before it, but that is a very specific version or style of Selena that if you're looking for like true Catwoman, it's very rare in that run. It, she doesn't really put the suit on until like an arc and a half, maybe even two arcs in. So if you're looking for more of the prowling Catwoman, you won't find that there. But if you're looking to explore the character for Selena. all that, yeah, Selena is great. yeah, if yeah. you're looking to explore Selena and for the character for all it's worth, it's a good like flip side of the coin to get to know that part of her too, because that's her heritage and that's her family. So you have the thief and then you have the daughter. Good. So uh, too much of the old days, what you had was Selena trying to seduce Batman. And some of them are fun little one-off stories, but taken as a whole, it's it's a little appalling. Mm-hmm. For such a wonderful character, she never was given enough agency to actually do as much as she could have been. You especially do want to avoid the 90s pneumatic Catwoman, the Jim <laughs> Ballant ones, which <laughs> it is it is hard now to look at those with any sort of... I don't know, anything but gritted teeth and scrunched up noses. It's just not, not very good. Oh gosh. Um, I don't have anything to add, but in particular, um, cause my, I tried to jump in with Catwoman with new 52 at the very beginning. Our, 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 our sympathies that Gillum March cover <sighs> for the zero issue. Yeah. It was, I, I didn't stick with it very long. Um, but I did a long time ago before new 52 read Gotham city sirens. Which mm, there a, you go. was a fun book. I really yes. enjoyed it. And now I have it collected in, in these massive um, trade collections. But um, yeah, I, I wrote down y'all's recommendations because that is something that I'm pretty sure I have when in Rome. I'm pretty sure I have that somewhere on my shelf. Uh, I have the problem where I buy things and don't use them, watch them, mm-hmm. read them, anything. And I think that's one right. thing that's been bought that has not been read. Um, so awesome. Awesome Catwoman recommendations. Good warnings for what's to stay away yes, from. Yeah. And, you know, as, as far as the question, is the new 50 stuff, two stuff any good? It sounds like start with Jean-Vive Valentine and then go from there. Don't read prior Amen. to that because I did and it turned me off from the character almost completely. Um, we have one more email, one more question. And this one comes to us from Adam Estep. And uh, it's about rebirth. And there's a lot of, questions the first one is has it really been six years since since we've had the new 52 and you know what it doesn't feel like it it feels like it's dragged yes, on yes it has for when bob when is our podcast anniversary when are we when do we you, you started before i did when was the new 50 when did the new 52 start september 2011 it was okay i thought it was september okay so this september it'll be six years Five? Yeah. Five. I can count. <laughs> it will be it will be five. Um so his question is um <laughs> with a new relaunch of sorts, uh what are we excited about and what should he be excited about? 
And as an aside, also explain the Clark Kent situation, which I think he's talking about Lois and Clark versus Action Comics versus Superman. I think that's what he's talking about, but I'm not sure. Um, so excited about Bob. What are you excited about for Rebirth? Greg Rucka and Greg Rucka. Yep. Yeah. Huh. And Nicholas Scott and yeah, uh, Liam Sharp. Basically Wonder I'm Woman. In, right. I am intrigued about the Batgirl titles, but a little scared mm-hmm. as I read the newest solicits in that uh, a, a birds of prey book where Oracle is a hacker and that's what Barbara was doing and moving forward. I don't know yet. I will certainly try it. Mm-hmm. The other one where she's, I was really enjoying the Burnside book. So to have it taken away and thrown into Tibet and she's off on some seven years in Tibet razor's edge exploration of her psyche, maybe it might Bill be him. And it's a super, it could be. So I'm willing to try Love Babs as a character. We're, we're getting to her anniversary too fairly soon. So some things, some of the bigger books, I'm still not feeling Justice Leagues and Green Lanterns and Flashes two, four, six, however many times a month. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm missing in the, the bits of the DCU that there were the smaller things addressed. Uh, and I, I'm going to miss that. Love to see the Gotham Academy is still made the, made the catch over. Uh, Detective Comics is certainly a big one. We have great cast of characters over there and James Tynan uh, definitely loves some of the stuff he's done. So in on that. So I've traded a lot of books I really did like for ones I don't know yet. More than likely. I think yeah. Steve's ready to jump right in. Yeah, tell us what you think, Steve. Hi, Adam. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> I've talked to Adam in the past. He knows the deal. Uh, I am excited. I think towards the top of my list is actually Flash and Flash Rebirth. Uh, Josh Williamson and Carmine. Here we go. Gia, oh my God. Jim, there you go. And Neil Googe. Googester. <laughs> I, I, I've liked, um, if I haven't completely followed uh, all of Josh Williamson's storylines all the way to the end, I've always enjoyed following him onto new books. Uh, the idea of him writing a superhero for DC really excites me because it feels like new territory and um of course he's uh nailbiter and uh illuminati and a couple of other things that were going to the red skull miniseries for secret wars that came out um another one i'm interested in is james tynan uh the fourth detective comics i think the team that they've assembled for that book is very interesting i like the idea of batwoman uh coming back under that writer and uh, Clayface is in there somewhere, so I'm, yeah, yeah and spoiler. So for for those characters alone, uh, I am I'm in. I very much am, I have kind of a an unabashed love for uh, Batman's more like monstery villains between Clayface and Scarecrow and Two Face and stuff like that. I just I like Solomon the Grundy. yeah, like I, I I like the the deformities, like the people. That aren't just crazy, but they've got like mutations and problems. And and I've always loved the Clayface character being able to, he's an actor and he morphs into different things and has different weapons. And he was always really great on the animated series. Um, I'm curious to give Green Lantern another go with uh, Simon Boz. And I can't remember 
the female Jess, Jess, Jesse, Jessica, Jesse. I think it's Jesse. Yeah. I feel bad. I'm saying how excited I am for her to make an appearance, and I don't know her damn name. <laughs> but um, the little bit that I got of that character when I was actually still reading Green Lantern towards the end, I liked her kind of her, her attitude and her sass, and I I like the idea of her coming to the forefront. I'm willing to give Suicide Squad. I try every time. Every time that they come out with a new Suicide Squad, I give it a go, hoping that it'll be the one that speaks to me. It hasn't happened yet, but I might give it another shot. Uh, of course, the Greg Rucka Wonder Woman stuff is an absolute must uh, for anybody that loves that character or loves that writer. The Greg Rucka stuff is my favorite of, of any Wonder Woman that I've ever read. So I am super, super excited for that. Um, Other stuff. Supergirl. Steve Orlando coming out. That yeah. could be something really, uh, really awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sorry. I'm being weird. I'm just I'm scanning through the list as fast as I can to try and come up with titles. I don't want to just rattle things off that I don't have an opinion on. I don't know. <laughs> oh, like, like overall, I'm, I'm excited about Rebirth, but I'm still a little trepidatious given the price point. I know that they're you know, going to, to the mattresses with this two ninety nine, but some of the books that I'm interested in are shipping, you know, two Twice. times a month. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, yeah, your your one issue is two ninety nine. I appreciate that. But two weeks later, in the last week of the month, you're gonna hit me again for another three bucks and suddenly to read one title, I'm up to six dollars. It better be and, a good title too. I mean, if it's if you're yeah. paying six dollars a month and it's kind of meh or mediocre then, right. then you're just going to lose. I mean, here's the deal. Like I was telling Bob uh, on the train the other night, I have, in, I mean, it's been some weird weeks for comics the last like two or three weeks or whatever, but between, I believe it's the last four or three weeks worth of, of new releases. I, the person who every week, everybody a while ago, two years ago on this podcast used to make fun of me for the amount of books that I walked away with on Wednesday, sometimes like 36, 38 titles Maybe even Good more. God. Yeah, dude. That was me. Now I am down to I bought I mean, I just bought the Wonder Woman stuff while we were chatting, but like eight books in three, maybe even four weeks. I've bought eight books. So, you know, I'm 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 getting away from reading things because I feel like I have to read them to be in the know for the podcast and instead making my contribution to the podcast things that I'm actually passionate and really enjoying mm-hmm. as opposed to like mandatory reading that I have to pay for with my own money. Right. You know, cause this is all, this is all coming out of pocket, you know, most of it. Yeah. So, um, it's tough. I'm excited about rebirth. Um, I, I, I'm kind of the one that's usually down for a reset. But uh, I am sad to be losing some of the some of the titles or feeling weird about where some of the other ones might go. Um, the Batgirl team leaving DC, I think, was interesting. I kind of wonder about the like the minutia of that. But then the other part of me is like, dude, don't get don't go digging. Don't get too close to it, because if you find out something that doesn't sit well with you, you might like, you know, start having a vendetta against, uh, you know, one publisher or the other. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, lots of good I things. Know. Lots of good things. Lots of good things. And Image Expo. Explain, yeah. Someone explain Superman to me, please. Uh. Okay. Well, on that 
the Superman thing, I just want to add the 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 one book that I'm really excited for is the the new Superman from Gene mm-hmm. Luen Yang. Um, and he put out this great essay on DC Comics earlier this week. His approach to the book, his trepidations with the book, you know, uh, being the 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 Chinese American, the Chinese writer writing the Chinese Superman. What are the problems there? Is there some sort of, you know, is he stuck in a, in a whatever? And he talks about the name and he talks about how he came up with the name Kenan Kong and, and all of that. It's a great essay and it shows his passion about the book. It's something that we've kind of talked about over this the podcast tonight too, about how like finding out why these creators care about the characters that they're writing or the books that they're writing like helps push and propel our own interest in that book. So like that book, new Superman is one that I'm really, really excited for. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what's going on with Superman right now in the books. <laughs> so I, could not, I can't answer that question, but I know okay. I'm excited for that one that's coming. Yeah. I feel like I should be able to answer that question because I'm, we are currently buying the new Lois and Clark series, mm-hmm. which I think is what he's talking about as far as there's two Clarks. Because there's one yeah. where he's married to Lois, and then there's whatever else is going on. But unfortunately, um, I buy things and don't read them. So <laughs> I've actually got uh, an article up right here from uh, Gizmodo. Okay, it says uh, say hello to Keenan Kong, the new Chinese Superman. Uh, I'll just read you the first couple of lines uh, from this. This is from uh, James Whitbrook of uh, io9 or Gizmodo. Your choice. There's big changes coming to Superman and DC's rebirth event. First off, he's dying. Ah, cheerful. Uh, then he's being replaced by, er, well, the old Superman. It's a long story in, in brackets. But it also seems on his way out, Superman's powers will be split among a whole host of people. And one of them is a young man from Shanghai. So mm-hmm. Keenan okay. Kong evidently absorbs powers that are then scattered from i guess the death of superman or he's dying he's dying he, i don't know well, we don't know that he does. It says first off he's dying so maybe he like you know Doesn't releases die? his chi yeah that's present participle so like it's it's in the process of happening okay so english lesson yeah. <laughs> that's what it says no, here that's exciting so as far Cannot. as Adam, as far as what to read for Rebirth, basically, you don't have to read anything. Ideally, you don't have to read anything to enjoy it. But I'm hearing that you need to read, um, you're going to have to help me say the name right, Jean Luen Yang's essay. Jean Luen Yang. Yes. Um, yeah, read his essay really before jumping into Rebirth, especially if you're interested in, in Superman and different versions of him going forward. So. Yeah, I think the books in general, since they're saying that all continuity is back in play again, we're not going to know what bits of that continuity impact how many books in what ways until the books are actually out. Mm -hmm. So I think we're all a little bit behind the eight ball. We're all in the same boat looking at the same solicitations and saying, not sure. It's yeah. it's important, but how important it's going to be is going to be up to each individual writer on each individual series. Yeah. So very confusing time for for DC. Yes. What to move forward? What to order? Things like that. I think Housewood will be ordering every Batman related book, uh, <laughs> plus Wonder Woman, plus Supergirl, plus Superwoman. So 
uh, I'll let you guys know because <laughs> um, I have a very limited amount of knowledge about what's going on with New 52 Batman and, and that universe outside of um, Burnside Batgirl. So um, I think that's it for this episode. I say that you know, going, going once, going twice. I, I Can I just talk about the, the pull list thing that we're going to be doing every week? Yes, this for, is a good time yeah. to bring that up. So what we're going to be doing uh, on the website every week now, pretty much about the same time that the podcast is published on Wednesday mornings, uh, is we'll be putting up a Talking Comics pull list. We always like doing the reviews for you guys and letting you know the kind of the week after what we thought about the books. But it was always kind of in hindsight. So what we kind of want to do is every Wednesday, what we'll post is something called the talking comics pull list. And what we're doing is we're having all of our contributors and all of us, you know, as, as much as we can creating a list of the books that we're most excited for on that new comic book day. When we go to the shop and we pick up our books or buy them online or whatever, these are the books that we're most excited for. And we'll be taking a look at and ultimately reviewing and talking about on next on the following week's show so our first one's going to be tomorrow it's kind of we're just piloting it right now and it'll evolve over the next couple of weeks but we did want to kind of you know start the conversation when those books come out and mm -hmm. let you guys know what we're excited for why we're excited for it so you could participate and kind of you know read what we're reading so that it's always not scrambling after the fact to like, oh, you recommended this book on the podcast from last week, so I gotta go get it. So we're telling you Wednesday morning, right when the podcast comes out, this is what we're excited for today. Mm -hmm. uh, so keep an eye out for that every week. Great. It's, it's awesome and it's a, it's actually a site-wide initiative. So anybody who's involved with, with Talking Comics, you know, we're all contributing to this and we're all thinking about things ahead of time and what we're excited about. So awesome. Um, mm -hmm. So you can always go to TalkingComicBooks.com and check out all of our content. Uh, I think there are going to be some pretty big, awesome changes coming soon. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to see how that site evolves. Um, as always, you can uh, listen to our other podcasts that we have on there. That There are too many that I have. I am not able to keep up with all of them. <laughs> but we, we cover everything. Like we cover movies and video games and television and different types of comics and anime and, and manga. So there's, a, there's something out there for everyone. So check out the site, TalkingComicBooks.com. Peruse, look around. You'll find something that you like. I almost guarantee it. Although unless you're a weirdo who just can't enjoy anything in life. Um, you can reach out to... In which to... case, tell us about it and we'll put it on the site. Yeah, we'll... Talking weirdos. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Hold on there, Joey. <laughs> you can reach out to us on Twitter at Talking Comics and you can also email us info at TalkingComicBooks.com. Steve, where can listeners reach you? I am at dead underscore anchorus on the Twitter. And Joey? At Joey Bergino. And Bob? Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. And I'm on Twitter at Megamaramon. Uh, so, for Joey. Adios. Steve. Ciao. And Bob. Sayonara. <laughs> this has been Talking Comics. Until next time, to be continued.